Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Welcome to our Catechism class today. Uh, We're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 35, the first part of Lord's Day 35, question 96. Open your Bible, read the verse, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. In our last lesson, we looked at the sin of idolatry. That's dealing with the true object of our worship. We're to worship no one else but the Lord God. But there is a serious danger that idolatry can enter into our worship and render our worship unacceptable to God. And there's no better place to see this than Sinai itself, the place where the law itself was given. Because while Moses was on the mountain meeting with God, receiving these very commandments, the people of Israel, God's own covenant people, the slaves who had been set free by an act of God's grace alone, were very busy melting down their jewellery and building for themselves an idol, a golden calf, which they would then bow down to and worship. And that particular incident would cause the divine wrath of God to be executed upon those ungrateful and shameful people. And you can read that in Exodus chapter 32. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. So the second commandment is a rule which helps us to keep the first commandment. For there's a danger that if we invent some image of God using our own imagination, that we will then be deflected by what we have imagined from worshipping the one true God who reveals himself to us in Holy Scripture. Now because this is so serious, after all, our very soul's salvation is at stake, Our instructor warned us about the danger of any form of idolatry slipping into our worship. So in question 96, he asks, What does God require in the second commandment? What does God require in the second commandment? And the answer is, We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. So the Catechist instructs us, first of all, that to portray God, to attempt to portray God in any way at all, is idolatry. Now that's a very particular challenge in the modern technological age in which we live. We have a preoccupation with moving imagery. And of course there's an honest desire among Christians, even among the soundest Christians, to reach the modern generation, to reach the millennial generation with the gospel. 
and to use in that effort to preach the gospel all the technological tools that the modern world has given us. Movies, visual learning, whatever. Uh, We use uh, images that could be idolatrous. Picture books for children that contain images of Jesus. Films where actors play the part of Christ. We want to teach our people using the techniques of educational psychology, the best practice and teaching methods, the latest teaching aids. After all, we reason. Why shouldn't Christian learning, so vital that our souls depend upon it, be any less effective than secular education? And yet, many of the teaching practices of this modern age will fall under the commandment of God, that we are not to make any likeness of God. Now the Catechist emphasised the breadth of this command. We are not to make any representation of God in any way. We are not to make an image of God in any other way at all. God is a spirit and he cannot be seen and he cannot even be imagined in the human mind. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 15, we read these words. Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Verse 16. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure. When God spoke to Moses, There was no form seen. It would be very tempting to try to portray God. And yet to make a carved image in the form of a figure would invoke the wrath of God. It's what brought the sinners in Romans chapter 1 and verse 23 under God's condemnation. For they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And so to attempt to portray any likeness of God in any way, or indeed any other part of the triune Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, is so wrong. For that will create a God of our own imagination, made in our image, and that will be an idol. And the same applies, of course, to God the Holy Spirit. In the book, Heaven is for Real, a little boy through his father claims that he died and went to heaven and then come back again. And he reported in his book that the Holy Spirit is a blue transparent ghost that you can see through, uh, who shoots down power from heaven. And Jesus, he says, is a short person. He makes up for it in power. Now those are descriptions that are blasphemous. And yet that utterly blasphemous book sold five million copies in nine months. Idolatry, spreading out through Christian bookshops everywhere, doing intense spiritual damage of the worst kind. For to attempt to describe God and portray God is idolatrous. We're not to make an image of God in any way. We're not to imagine him in our minds and try to portray that in any way at all. 
That's the first point that the Catechist draws our attention to. In the second commandment, we are taught that to attempt to portray God in any way is idolatry. The second point follows on from that. In question 96, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. To worship without, without divine authorization is idolatry. At the Reformation, the Reformers were concerned that the worship of God would be pleasing to the God who is holy. Now, the Reformers fell broadly into two camps. Luther and perhaps the Anglicans were of the opinion that Christians should not worship God using any method that's forbidden in Scripture. So Lutheranism encouraged music and orchestras and art. Calvin and the other great magisterial reformers in the Reformed tradition took the opposite view. They took the view that nothing should be introduced into the public worship of God that was not specifically commanded in the Bible. So in the Calvinistic or Reformed churches at that time, choirs were abolished, organs were destroyed, feast days, including Christmas for example, were banned. Statues and icons were taken out of the churches, broken down. Monasteries and convents were closed. We see this reflected in our own building at Ballymacashan, which is very plain and very austere along the Reformed tradition. Some years ago, a Roman Catholic man attended a particular service at Ballymacashan. And I got talking to him during the refreshments and he confided to me that this was his first visit ever to a Protestant church and his first experience of Protestant worship. So curious, I asked him for his first impressions. He looked thoughtful and then he replied, Hmm, I was stunned by the starkness of the building. You see, he was used to a church being ornate with lots of colour, lots of statues, lots of bells and incense, with a high altar in the centre of view. And of course, the Reformed Church is exactly the opposite. The building is bare and unadorned. It's austere in its decoration. It has a central pulpit, so that the participants in worship are reminded that God's word is central to every service and there is nothing that will distract them from the preaching of the scriptures. Now we call this the regulative principle of worship. And that's why in our Reformed churches we are so careful about what we introduce into our services of worship. The Westminster Confession provides a list of the elements of true worship in accord with the regulative principle. Worship is characterised by five things. By prayer. Prayer always for the living but never for the dead. The reading of scripture. Sound preaching. Understandable learning. The singing of God's praise and psalms. The sacraments, those sacraments that are instituted by Christ, baptism and the Lord's Supper, those two and no more, and occasionally vows and thanksgivings. So people notice that in our churches we don't have drama groups or clowns or excessive visual aids. 
or smoke machines or light shows or praise bands or symbols or statues or icons or worship leaders. And we certainly don't have women ministers or women preachers. And yet we have to ask the question, when we think about the regulative principle of worship, where do we draw the line? Some Reformed churches differ over whether we should have psalms only or psalms and some hymns. But in those churches which do allow hymns, we have to very carefully check them to make sure that no man-made doctrines or beliefs are being introduced, that the words are not man-centred, and we sometimes disagree a little on whether we should have an organ or whether we should sing without music altogether. So when we're trying to work out in practice the regulative principle of worship in the worship of our churches, we have to decide using common sense what is best for us. Derek Thomas, a Presbyterian commentator, writes, There are some circumstances concerning the worship of God which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence. Common sense should guide us in addressing certain questions, bearing in mind that a circumstance of worship does not constitute a constituent act of worship. So when it comes to worship, it is our responsibility to worship only the one true God. And when we worship him and come before him in public praise and in assembly, we are to be careful not to attempt to portray God in any way. That would be idolatrous. And we're to worship him in a way that is laid out and specifically authorised in his word, in accordance with the scriptures, so that we will obey the Lord and please him. In First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hate than the fat of rams. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.